Well, hi, I'm Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at EV. And today we're continuing to learn wise principles for life from King Solomon. Principles that are timeless and unchanging, relating to the oldest institution ever, marriage. Now, not, not surprisingly, there is much to say about marriage, much more than can be said in one short sermon. But the task before us today is to seek God's wisdom for our lives when it comes to dating, marriage and sex. So let's ask him to help us. We pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the fact that in it, you give us wise words for life. And so we ask today that you would help us to hear your wisdom. Would you help us to live by it? And would you help us to live in a way that brings you glory? Amen. Well, for me, uh, lockdown number one was marked by the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. You may have seen it. But the second lockdown in Auckland, uh, Christy and I watched the hip hop musical stage show called Hamilton. Uh, it took us two nights, it's three hours long, so you've gotta be pretty dedicated to watch it. But look, uh, Hamilton retells the historical story of one of the founding fathers of the United States, Alexander Hamilton. He joined the military, he fought in battle, in the Battle of Independence, uh, and at age 23, he married Elizabeth Schuyler. He became the first secretary of the US Treasury. Now, in many ways, Alexander Hamilton was a great and noble man. But in 1791, at age 34, after being married for 11 years, he came undone. His wife was away with the kids on vacation. He was working hard with very little sleep. He began a 12-month affair with Mariah Reynolds as his life began to spiral out of control. Marriage and its breakdown can make or break more than just a couple but a family, a community, and even a country. Just think about Bill Clinton or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Over the past 3,000 years, not much has changed, has it? <laughs> you just have to look back to David and Bathsheba, Solomon's own parents. He, he was a result of all sorts of wrong. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible is its honesty. It doesn't skip over the hard stuff, but gives us God's wisdom for life, including marriage. And that means we need to not skip over the hard stuff either. At some point, we've all witnessed the devastation of an affair. Perhaps it's happened to you. Perhaps you're contemplating it yourself, weighing up the promise of momentary bliss, the guilt and shame that comes with that, the division of family and friends. But today, I need to ask you, are you prepared to admit that you too are vulnerable to adultery? But don't but let us be naive to think that it's beneath us. Better people than you or I have lost everything as a result of infidelity. You see, an unguarded strength is actually a double weakness. And so firstly, uh, we want to see that marriage is a good thing. And Proverbs 18.22 says, A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, this is not a promise that, mass, that marriage will be blissfully easy. Remember, Proverbs are principles for the godly, not promises of God. But you see, marriage creates family units, and families are the foundation of society. Every one of us is part of a family. That's the way God made it. But we are all at different places with regard to family. And so perhaps you're single. Maybe you're dating and contemplating marriage. You, you could be one of the 10 newly married couples from EV this year. Congratulations to you. But you might be the exhausted couple just getting by under the demands of work and children. You may be reeling from a devastating sin in your marriage. 
perhaps your empty nesters quickly realizing the focus on, on kids was what really held the family together. Uh, maybe once you were married and, and now you're still trying to figure out what went wrong. How come the marriage ended? Look, whatever your story, wherever you are at in life, whatever your experience of marriage has been so far, we need to hear what the Bible has to say about this most important institution. And now I want to look at marriage under three headings. Uh, the attractiveness of marriage, um, the attentiveness of marriage, and then the adhesiveness of marriage. Three headings that if you were here last week aren't brought to you by the letter C, but are brought to you by the letter A. So first up, the attractiveness of marriage. There are a lot of things that are attractive about marriage. I'm told that some girls start to think about and plan their wedding days before they even hit puberty. For me, I just wanted to have a boat. <laughs> but for some, it's the allure of having kids and, and marriage as a means of getting there. Uh, for others, it's the security, security of a tangible companion. Uh, I belong to this guy or this girl. There is something attractive about marriage, something alluring. This idea of marrying your best friend. And last week we saw that friendship is necessary. We need relationships. We were made for relationships. Even in the messiness of relationships, it's what makes us human, isn't it? However, marriage is not necessary like friendship is. You don't need to get married. Jesus lived a perfectly satisfied, fully human, joyful life around good friends and connected to his heavenly father. And you can do it too. But look, I'm aware that that might not be easy. And a healthy, godly desire for marriage is not wrong. And the Bible's wisdom tells us to build marriage on friendship, not sexual attraction. Solomon wrote another book of wisdom, a book of wisdom lyrics, entirely devoted to celebration of marriage. Song of Songs is a ballad of love and longing. It's eight chapters, generally not appropriate for youth group studies. But interestingly, he acknowledges this fact that marriage is built on friendship. And so in Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 16, he says, This is my love, and this is my friend. See, before there were date nights or divorce lawyers, there was God. One God and three persons living in unbroken relational unity. And Genesis 2 tells us that the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. That man became a living being. And the Bible tells us that God made man first, and for the first time in recorded history, something was declared not good. Genesis 2.18 goes on, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Now, it's not that the man was lonely. After all, he was in perfect relationship with God above him. He had creation beneath him, but he didn't have a partner alongside him. No partner fit to work as an equal lover and friend. No helper corresponding to him. And so God's solution to the not good problem in Eden was a friendship in a covenant marriage. Yes, the first human friendship was between a husband and a wife. In Genesis 2:23, after God had created woman, we read, The man said, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and, and, and bonds to his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. It's an attractive picture of the way God designed marriage to be, right? Naked and not ashamed. If you're married, how, how is your friendship with your spouse? 
Because marital friendship requires both the husband and the wife to be willing to invest what it takes to be a good friend. Working on our marital friendship can help the rest of marriage sort itself out in, in time. But friendship is costly. It's costly in every way, in time and energy and emotion and even money. <laughs> so how do we get there? Often, finding a spouse can seem like an unsolvable puzzle, uh, marriage this unattainable illusion, and yet for others they simply blinked and, and then there was a spouse and three kids. What's going on? <laughs> Perhaps it's a bit like crossing a rapid. Fast-flowing water, there's an element of risk involved. Uh, you can see people on the other side, including kids, and you're keen to get there, but how? How do I cross this rapid? How do I find someone to cross the rapid with? It feels like a minefield. Which stone do I step on? How do I navigate this treacherous water? What's the way across? And the truth is, there is a certain degree of mystery involved. Uh, take a look at Proverbs 30. Three things are beyond me. Four I can't understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship at sea, and the way of a young man with a young woman. I think that's saying that for all his wisdom, this proverb writer couldn't figure out the rules of a man and a woman coming together in love. You have to admit, it makes me feel good. I'm not alone. <laughs> There's a mystery to it, uh, that it has its own beauty, like the eagle in the sky or, or a ship floating at sea. And look, many men and women have echoed this sense of wonder and mystery. Friends, we, don't, we need the wisdom of the Word of God to understand how we ought to relate as men and women, as husband and wife, and it starts with friendship. Well, one writer puts it this way, we think of a prospective spouse as, a prim as primarily a lover or a provider, and if he or she can be a friend on top of that, well, isn't that nice? We should be going at it the other way around. We should screen first for friendship, look for someone who understands you better than you do yourself, who makes you a better person just by being around them and then explore whether that friendship could become a romance and a marriage. So many people go about their dating starting from the wrong end. They end up in marriages that aren't really about anything and aren't going anywhere. Now that's some wisdom from an experienced pastor that's worth listening to. But let me add some other helpful points when it comes to dating. Firstly, like any friendship or marriage, dating isn't about the two of you. You should date in community, family, friends, church. The, the truth is that we all need a third wheel, both in life and in dating. <laughs> People who truly know us and love us and, and who want what's best for us, even when it's not what we want in the moment. And so you want to ask questions like, can I communicate well with this person? Do we make a good team? Do our gifts and passions complement each other? Could this be my best friend? Now, dating isn't just about the two of you, it involves others, but there are two healthy ends to a dating relationship, a breakup or a marriage. And both could be unhealthy, but both can and should hopefully be healthy. Now, thirdly, a date isn't a proposal, right? <laughs> An arranged one-on-one -on -one hangout with a person of the opposite sex purely for the purposes of getting to know one another is a date, plain and simple. Go, enjoy one another's company and consider if you want a second date. Work at being friends and then when you're like, look, hey, I think we're, we make a good team, uh, then make your intentions clear. But more importantly than identifying someone to date is understanding how to love. You will not truly love anyone else if you do not love God first and foremost. And no one will truly love you if they do not love God more than they love you.
Godly attractiveness isn't prescribed by the world. Wisdom tells us attractiveness is found in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 31 says this, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. So, do you have to be physically attracted to someone? No. But in God's kindness, I take it you will find them attractive on the inside and out because you're building on a foundation of friendship, a foundation of friendship instead of flirtatious love. And so you'll connect at a deeper level, which enables safe and secure conversations because that is the ongoing nature of marriage. There is something attractive about marriage, about the way God made it, but not only is marriage attractive, but the second key to marriage is being attentive. It's point number two. We need to stay attentive in our marriages. You see, nothing good in this life is easy, and marriage is no exception. We learn this just three chapters into the Bible when our first parents sinned. It's the downfall of marriage. Genesis 3. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Our first parents stuffed up. Eve ate and Adam was right there beside her. They disobeyed God and broke his good design. Sin entered the world and it now impacts every area of life. So work is hard. Marriage is hard. Godly living is hard. In Genesis 3.16, God said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. My friends, the truth is we're all now born outside the Garden of Eden in a broken world full of broken people who keep breaking relationships. And marriage puts a microscope on this. I had no idea how selfish I was until I got married. <laughs> I mean, I knew I was selfish, but marriage magnified it to a whole new level. And so we need to reverse engineer our lives and our marriages. It requires ongoing attentiveness. Little things every day. I'll say that again. Little things every day. And it's helpful to understand the goal of marriage. Marriage is the voluntary public union of one man and one woman from different families. Marriage includes a spouse and often children, but the goal and purpose of marriage is not self, spouse or children. It's not simply to get along. <laughs> the ultimate goal of marriage and family has always been the glory of God. For it was God who, who created marriage in the first place. And so Genesis 1:27 says, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And here in verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. We have been created male and female and not to satisfy our needs, but to serve the creator. God created men and women equal in worth, but different in complementary functions. And we are not the same. And thank God for that. God has put us in charge of his good world and he wants our maleness and our femaleness to be used in the service of that world as males and females, not as indistinguishable humans with arbitrary sex. And so couples are to build strong marriages that work and work for his glory. And a key to a solid friendship is communication. And so too it is with marriage. 
You might be pleased to hear that renowned relationship expert John Gottman has made the following three observations about marriages that work. Firstly, married, married couples are good friends. There is a mutual respect and enjoyment of each other's company. They are well versed in each other's likes and dislikes. John says that married couples are good friends, which we've already established. Secondly, uh, married couples handle conflict in a gentle and positive way. I'm not sure if you're aware, but apparently two thirds of all marital arguments never get resolved. You, you can't change a person. They can only change themselves. Uh, this means we need to learn how to handle conflict and to deal with it positively. Thirdly, uh, married couples don't let the bad stuff overwhelm the good. They prevent negativity from escalating out of control by making a statement or action that diffuses the tension. Uh, this allows them to, to move on, to be able to have discussions, to, to have those communication. They're able to attempt repair. And John says that this is the secret to a happy couple. <laughs> Anyone who knows my wife, Christy, you know that she laughs at pretty much anything. And so for us, this works really well when we need to regain perspective. And so communication involves both listening and speaking, doesn't it? And the way someone begins speaking tells us a lot about the outcome of the conversation. John Gottman says that within the first three minutes of a conversation, uh, the outcome is predictable 96% of the time. Uh, a harsh startup simply dooms you to failure. Instead, we need to speak gently to one another. This is echoed in Proverbs 13. The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. So we need to think before we speak. Think what? Well, what do you need to say? Don't blame the person or attack them personally, but express a complaint about the action or lack of it and its effect on you. Secondly, think how. How do you want to say it? Then think when. When is a good time to have this conversation? Right as you're about to go to bed, as your head's hit the pillow? Or is there a better time to have that conversation? After thinking, we want to speak gently. This is the key to a soft startup conversation. Speak gently, speak personally, own and express your feelings rather than accusing your spouse and speak openly. Don't expect your spouse to be a mind reader. You know what the old saying goes, we've been given two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we speak. And Proverbs 18 says, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. So how are we to listen well? Listening well takes a lot of hard work and concentration, but one principle is to never express your point of view until the first person who came with a complaint feels like you've understood the complaint. So ask follow-up questions. Show that you're listening and you're interested. Then try and summarize what you've heard in your own words and repeat that back. Listen for the emotional experience of your spouse and give it a name for those feelings that, that you, when you respond. Listening well keeps you well connected and assists in having conversations about difficult issues in your relationship. Lastly then, look for what you can own before you shoot back with the 427 things your spouse did wrong before this. See, the goal of marriage is not just personal happiness, but God's glory. And that's because marriage points to a picture of the faithful love of God. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 picks up this idea of mystery between a man and a wife. 
He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to, to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So the profound mystery of marriage paints a picture of the great heavenly marriage. It is to be reflected in the way we live out our own marriages. The selfless giving and forgiving that marks godly marriages paint a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for an adulterous bride. Jesus, who loved so deeply that he died in our place, bearing the wrath of God on our behalf. Friends, our marriages are to paint a picture of this love, of this mercy and this grace. And our marriages are to be pictures of the gospel as we love like Jesus and we forgive like Jesus. Uh, Listen, if you're here tuning in today and you don't know this Jesus who shapes Christian marriages, can I invite you to let us know on your Connect card? We'd love to show you how Jesus is good news for you and your marriage or your lack of marriage. Once you're married, your priority under God is your spouse. For the husband is to love his wife and the wife is to respect her husband. And so a couple of really valuable questions to ask in your marriage. Uh, Husband to the wife, ask this question, what can I do to love you more? Wife to, to the husband, what can I do to respect you more? The answers to those two questions will be profoundly helpful as you keep working out your marriage together. Because at the heart of marriage is faithfulness. Because this is the heart of who God is. And you know what? God has given us superglue to maintain the faithful bond of marriage. He's given us an adhesive called sex. So marriage is for one man and one woman by God's design, right? God made our bodies very good with male and female parts and pleasures. When our first parents consummated their covenant, God was not shocked or horrified because he created our bodies for sex. God created sex as a gift. But sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is a sin. Wisdom is knowing these boundaries and knowing when to turn away, to say no to sin. See, one of the great misconceptions about affairs is that they begin with sex. But affairs do not begin with sex. Proverbs 7 tells us a story of seduction. As a father watches a young male make a series of self-centered decisions. Pick it up with me at verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Crossing the street near her corner, he strolled down the road to her house. At twilight in the evening, in the dark of the night. So this young man, he may be single, he may be married, but he's in the prime of his life, making a list of terrible self-centered decisions. Compromises little by little, crossing the street just to be a bit closer. Nothing wrong with that. Strolling down the road past her, that's not a crime. In the dark of night, you start wanting to be hidden from public sight, from God's sight. See, when God's good gift is turned into a God, Sex is worshipped as a God and it leads to death. Verse 21, she seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap. Until an arrow pierces its liver like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. 
Idolizing sex does not end well. It's a fake God and it does not satisfy. It will cost you your life. If you're getting sex somewhere other than your spouse or, or you are thinking about it, and that includes porn, you need to talk to someone about it today. You need to bring it out of the darkness into the light. Sexual sin is like a tiger. If you feed it, it will devour you. But if you starve it, it becomes a weak kitten. Friends, sex is serious, but it is also a gift. It's a gift that God gave, and it is His intent that we steward and enjoy that gift in such a way that is glorious to Him and good for our marriages. Because marriages need sex as a divinely given adhesive to enable lifelong steadfast love. It's one of the most intense human experiences. Sexual intercourse in a committed marriage relationship helps bond two people together. It brings joy to living together and building a relationship. A sexless marriage is an ungodly marriage. And Proverbs 5 says this, Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving dare, a graceful doe, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Sex is a great gift within the gift of marriage. It's a great joy and a great cause and tension of grief. Remembering that marriage is first and foremost about God and His glory helps us to shift from a self-centered view of marriage to asking in the state I'm in, married, single, divorced, or distressed, how can I glorify God? The most important day of any marriage is the last day. Too many people put all their best energies into the first day, either seeking marriage as this picture-perfect partner or planning marriage, the cake, the flowers, the clothing, the photos, they all have to be perfect. But while a wonderful first day of marriage is important and fun, it's really the last day that really counts. Am I serving Jesus in the state I'm in, single or married? Friends, remember Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Friends, it's worth remembering the worst thing that can happen to you is not adultery. It's failing to repent for it. Because adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. God, adultery is not the worst thing that can happen, but hits at the core of the relationship God has with us. He is faithful. So we should be faithful. God's good design is for sex to be enjoyed within the covenantal bond of a lifelong marriage. God's way is the best way. And wisdom is calling us to find our pleasure in the one we have vowed to. And so may we continue to pursue marriage as a good and attractive commitment. May we remain attentive in our marriages to one another and to our children. May we remember the adhesive of marriage, that sex is a good gift to be enjoyed within covenant relationship. And may God in his kindness use our marriages to continue to point to his marvelous work between Christ and the church, his bride. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that despite it being hard, it has contained in it the wisdom for right living, for godly living your way. And we want to thank you for marriage. We want to thank you for the gift of sex. And we want to thank you for the marriages here at EV. We thank you for those who are not yet married. We ask that you would help us to learn to be satisfied, that we would be satisfied for your glory 
for the good of our spouses, for the good of our families, for the good of our churches, and for the good of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.